Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We've been doing a series entitled, Now You See Me. Obviously, there's a, a movie in the theater, Now You See Me Too, which was, the first one was really quite um, interesting, and I, I have not seen the second one yet, but the, the idea behind it is, is becoming invisible, kind of a magic-type deal. And if I'd have used magic in the church 40 years ago, I'd have been stoned. Um, and 50 years ago, I would have been stoned, but in a different way. Uh, so anyway... <laughs> and so, um, but I decided, I thought, you know, what is it that really moves the heart of God? If I were to ask that question to a number of people, uh, I'd get a number of answers. You know, what is it that moves the heart of God? Some people would say, well, you know, religious people would say, well, being perfect, uh, performing well, m- impressing God or making God happy. Can I, can I tell you something? You don't make God happy. God is just thrilled. In his presence is fullness of joy. So if somebody ever, ever wonders, you know, what, what's the, the mood of God? Well, the mood of God is joy. Because if that's what you get in his presence, then that's who God is. God is love. God doesn't love. God is love. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, he can't help himself. He is love. And as a result of that, love comes out of him. What happens is that we oftentimes measure uh, God's acceptance of us based on our performance before him. And when we do that, and we come up short, there's the tendency to shy away. Now, all of us in here when we were children probably did something wrong, I would assume. And if you didn't, I'm thankful you were not my friend, because you would have made me look bad, worse than I already did, because I did things wrong. Now, the first thing that happens when we do something wrong is we begin to shy away. Am I right? You start hiding. You, you, know, you, you kind of hide because you don't want to be found out. And if you are found out, you, you want to kind of avoid the consequences of being found out. So we hide. Basically, the words are we become invisible. That's the goal. And I think we treat God this way oftentimes when we've had a, a difficult day, a bad week. We've done something we're not proud of. We have a tendency to, to become invisible. Can I tell you something? Oftentimes, the reason people keep coming, quit coming to church, any church, is not because they don't love God, but they've done something that causes them to fear God doesn't love them. And so what they do, the first step is, if they really believe that God sees all and knows all, then they know they can't hide from God, but they believe if they hide from the church, that it will be less visible. And so we become invisible to God, and when we become invisible to God, guess what? Our gifts and talents become invisible to God. We quit using them. Now, I've been doing this pastor thing for a long time, and and I've studied the steps of people. And when someone misses a week, you say a key volunteer misses a week, then they miss two weeks, and then after about three weeks, because they're just trying to get up the courage to say, I can't serve anymore. Then the reason they can't serve anymore, no, they're not telling anybody, but they feel like they've done something that disallows that. And certainly, 
I had a season where I took off, not saying that shouldn't happen, but the reality is there are several steps. When you step down, you step away, and then you step out. Those are the three things you need to watch for. Am I, am I stepping down from my position, becoming invisible first to the people around me and the people that really know me, and then just kind of disappearing? And I want to challenge you today, do not become invisible. The title of today's message is, Now You See Me, Making Ourselves Visible to Jesus. Making Ourselves Visible to Jesus. And there are ways that we do that. We can make ourselves visible by being in church, uh, because this is the body of Christ, and so when you're in, and this is the reason I love church, is church doesn't save you, church is not the reason we go to heaven, but church does make us visible to opportunity. It makes us visible to others. And a lot of people say, what well, makes us accountable? I'd rather be visible. <laughs> because visibility says, I don't have anything to hide. I'm here. And... You know, uh, I've been in places before where I ran into someone that they were a little shy about something or, you know, and, and, and they kind of just try to disappear out of, out of the relationships. And so if you're not here next Sunday, I'll have reason to think that maybe you've done something stupid. Um, and those of you that did and you're watching online, we're going we're gonna to cut you off there. Anyway, so... Because it's so easy now just to hide in your bed and watch a live stream, you know. Uh, but next thing you know, you'll be turning us off live stream as well because I'm going to get right up in business with you here. So uh, if you would turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and this is out of the Message Bible. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. See... Anytime we make a performance out of our behavior or our activity, we begin to measure that performance against the will of God or our perceived idea of what the will of God is. So now, in other words, I don't measure up. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't press because Paul himself said, I press. In other words, there is a press in our lives to live for God, but we should never try to impress God. There should be a press, but not an impress. Uh, when we start trying to impress God, we start measuring ourselves against the Word of God, and quite frankly, we all come up short. Every one of you in here this week has been mad at somebody. Don't shake your head, well, not me. Yes, you have. You, I mean, at least upset, annoyed. You cannot live in this world without annoyance. And annoyance is, is not a problem. It's what you do with that annoyance that becomes the problem. So we start trying to perform. I want to impress God. I want to be a great Christian. I get all that. I am a great Christian on my worst day. Let me tell you why I am. Because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. It's the only thing that makes me a great Christian. There are always people who talk about, well, they're such a good Christian or such a great Christian. Really what they're saying is they just seem to be nice. Because my Christianity is not based on how good I am. It's based on what Christ has done in me. I'd love to tell you it was different than that. And, and right now, if you're very religious, I know you won't be back next week and you won't tune in. Because I have just burst your bubble because your whole life is wrapped up in how good you are instead of how awesome God is. And so, and so 
we, we're always saying, God, see me, look what I did, and then when we do something stupid, God, please don't see me. I want to become invisible. Can you imagine just for a minute being God? Not a chance. I'd wipe out two-thirds of the world. And I would probably be, be a part of the two-thirds that was wiped out because I know me. <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> I know the nature of man. Now it says, uh, it might be good theater. This is a message Bible. But the God who made you won't be applauding. What? If you make a performance out of it. God does not applaud performance. But he does honor and bless obedience. Now, I still don't know anyone who's been perfectly obedient. So, um, have you ever asked yourself the question, am I, am I trying to make myself invisible? You see, when I went through everything I went through the last two years, I did want to disappear. I didn't want to kill myself, but I wanted to disappear. I wanted to become invisible. I called Bill Wilson in New York City where he called me and we played phone tag. And At one point, I, I just thought, you know, it'd just be easier if I disappeared. It'd be easier for me, it'd be easier for everybody. I'm going to disappear. I'm going to become invisible. And I thought, I know where to become invisible. New York City. It, you know, I mean, come on, really? I mean, you, you can, like, get lost. Nobody even knows who you are. So I said, Bill, do you have a place in New York City where I can just come? He said, I said, I'll drive a bus, I'll visit kids. I'm fine. I just want to become invisible. And it wasn't out of shame anymore. I just thought, you know, I, I, I just want to become invisible. Just, I, it's just easier to not be seen. It really is. I mean, in all of our lives, I mean, there are a lot of people who get divorced, never remarried, because they just want to be invisible. Don't want to have to deal with it anymore. And there's really no good reason to make those decisions without a word from God. The only way we make decisions is a word from God. Now, we've all wanted to be invisible. We've all tried things. Um, I wrote this, um, what I'm about to read to you, in the spring of 2015. And I was reading, it was a part of my journal entry every day, 365 days. And when I say journal entry, it was a mini book every day. I have seven one-inch notebooks of, from April 26 of 2014 to April 26 of 2015. And I just decided I'm going to put everything down because I wanted, to, I wanted to see my progress or I wanted to see the digression in my life. Whatever the case might be, I wanted to see what was going on. Because I knew it would be very easy for me to become invisible. I mean, and I, you know, it was just, I had all of the human reasons that I thought that would be good. And uh, so we, we often measure people, and we, we, good people, we say, well, they're good people. Well, we want to be good instead of obedient. Because if you're really good, some people will overlook your disobedience if you're nice to them. And uh, so not all good people are obedient, and not all obedient people are good. Let's talk about the Pharisees a minute. None of us would say they were good. You know, they were legalists. They, 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 they prided themselves in living by the letter of the law. And um, so we could say, well, the Pharisees were good people. Or we could say they were obedient people. I would probably go the obedient route and say they were jerks. And I don't know if they're in heaven, and if they are, they'll, it's, they'll just have to deal with this sermon today. But the challenge is, 
that we, we really tell ourselves lies every day. And so part of my writing was to not tell myself lies and to say what, what I felt like needed to be said because I wanted to make myself and my hurts and my needs, I wanted to make those visible to God. Uh, I don't know how many of you pray authentic prayers or you, how many of you pray King James prayers. For some reason, King James prayers sound a little easier than, you know, because we get all pious and religious. When I hurt, I might just scream like a baby. God understands your scream. He understands your yell. He understands your cussing. I said that over the air, didn't I? You have no idea how, how much God understands authenticity and how he sees beyond our words. So why not just make yourself visible? You say, well, are you encouraging? Let me tell you what I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging authenticity, an authentic walk with God. And I'm going to tell you something. Get real with God. Make your pain visible. Make your desires visible. Make your gifts visible. Make everything visible to God. So here's what I wrote. And in light of where we are in, in society today with all the tension... I wrote these words in the spring of 2015. What can I do now to give expression to my heart's pull to continue my quest to make an impact in a world that I love? I'm actually a better man today than I was 10 years ago when the church that I built was thriving, and yet God decided that he would let me thrive anyway. It wasn't even near as good then as, you know, I mean, God was doing his thing. He knew the day would come when I would fail him. And he let me thrive anyway. So why wouldn't he do a repeat performance today? Is it because of one sin? Hold it. I was a sinner back then as well. But I guess the difference is that I was a common sinner. Y'all are wondering what a common sinner are, is, aren't you? you wonder, I'm going to explain that to you. That's, that's, a common sinner is... A person who sins consistent with culture. They're baby sins. They're like gossip. And gossip isn't really that bad because we can always turn that into a prayer request. <laughs> God, I'm just telling them because they told me to pray and I need to give them details. The prayer chain gang. My sin... My sins were common and looked like most other people's back then. My, uh, their indiscretions. I ha hadn't yet dropped the A-bomb. Think about it. Anyway, I am still astonished by our categorical treatment and judgment of others who sin differently than we do. I think that I will create a new name for this global problem. I will call it sinism. Maybe my new word sinism will be Oxford's next word of the year. My definition of sinism, which you won't find in Webster's dictionary, dictionary or any dictionary for that matter, the rejection of others based on their sin, which differs from our own. It's really not that much different than racism. And actually, I think sinism is the cause of racism. Sin is what drives us to be separated and to be divided. It's what causes us to want to be invisible so that we don't have to deal with the internal conflicts of our lives that we're battling day in and day out. 
There seem to be sins and people that we are just not comfortable with. And without realizing it, we would avoid them all in the name of our own weaknesses and prejudices. Just because someone has a different skin color than us doesn't mean that they should be looked at differently or treated differently. I have found that there are certain sins that are treated with the same lack of tolerance as a person of a different race. I know because I committed one such sin. What a tragedy to be judged just because of a difference. Yeah. Two, two plus years ago, people would have looked at me and said, your sin's bigger than mine. I haven't seen that in the Bible yet. I've tried. I've looked. I've wanted to. But for some reason, my sin was greater than the common sins of all you wonderful people of Oklahoma City. <laughs> and so when I'm writing this, it, it, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what is the perception and why is that perception so prevalent instead of looking for a solution. When sin happens, all we have to do is look, read four books in the Bible, they're called the Gospels, and we can see Jesus' response. But for some reason, in the moment of, of uncomfortableness and sin, we become judges instead of redeemers. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to be a judge, but he didn't come to be the judge, he came to be the redeemer. But what we've done, when you begin to judge somebody, they will become invisible. So Jesus was establishing a brand new precedent because no religious person wanted to stand before the Pharisees and Sadducees with their sin because they knew that they were going to measure the sin against the law. And that there was going to be no redemption, only judgment. And so what happens is we live on a planet with 7 billion people that when they make a mistake that's not common to their culture or society, become invisible. And when we become invisible, we remove ourselves from a position of possibility where Christ would want to use us. We have a world that wants a church that wants to know God. But I'm not sure we've been careful enough with how we treat people. I have absolutely no bitterness in my life or unforgiveness about all that's happened. None. But I don't think we used my sin to its max. One of the things I wrote on my first day is, I will not let this sin go to waste. Never waste a sin. Never waste one. A sin, a sin is one of the greatest opportunities we have to reveal Christ to a world. If I would have become invisible, what would it have said to the people who heard me preach? Well, the gospel he preached must not work because it's not working for him. One of the greatest joys of my life is standing up here Sunday after Sunday, screaming and shouting because it does work. Don't disappear. Don't become invisible. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. You just got to stay in there. And I'm just walking it out. And I'm telling you, when you hold your shoulders back and you have a smile on your face and, and you act like you've been redeemed, it will irritate religious people. 
And they will make every excuse about why they treated you the way they did. And we had an opportunity to glorify God in this city, and we will glorify God in this city and show this city that God is a Redeemer. Hmm. That was not in the nose. (laughs) I have found that there are certain sins that are treated with the same lack of tolerance as a person of a different race. I know because I committed one such sin. What a tragedy to be judged just because of a difference. After all, we all are born sinners. I would only request that I not be judged just because I sin different from you. I have felt loved by so many people, and for that I'm extremely grateful. But rejection and judgment of any type by many or few doesn't hurt any less. Simply put, please don't judge me because I sin differently than you. I have found that we even say things that placate our consciences to satisfy the internal conflict created by our own prejudices. You know the comments, one of my best friends is African American. I feel like some people say the same things about me. Hey, one of my good friends is an adulterer, which is code for, I want you to believe I love sinners. Or I want you to believe I love black people. Those words that somehow make us feel better instead of being authentic and real and all the time believing that and living that and standing up for that. You don't just go around people to make yourself look better. You go around people to make their life better and to make your relationship better with them. But they never come around, at least not until they want to be seen as a friend of a sinner like me. Never been afraid of identifying with sinners or people of different races. In fact, my beautiful daughter-in-law is African-American and I remain a friend of sinners. I'm in love with both. I love all people and I will not let what a few others might think of me cause me to become a sinist or a racist. The real test of Christian faith and good friends lies just weeks or maybe months ahead. Remember, I wrote this last spring before I had preached. It had been over a year. Will those who have known me be, for a very long time, see my gift or will they see my sin? See, that's when I talk about sinist. Will they see my gift that never left me or will they see my sin? Well, a sinist is going to see your sin, just like a racist is going to see color. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to get in real trouble, but I just feel the unction to do it. If you vote for Hillary because she's a woman, you voted for the wrong reason. There, I said it. Now, I don't care who you vote for. I mean, I do, but I don't. All I'm saying is, do you see how easy it is to say, well, I I want to say I voted for the first woman, woman president. Not a good reason, folks. Do you see how we go? you see how we roll? Let me see if I can wade out of this mud that I walked into. <laughs> but, but I, I want to be real because the reality is we justify our decisions without realizing the reason we're doing something. All I would say is ask yourself a lot of questions before you make decisions. Am I a sinist? Do I judge people who live differently than me, talk differently than me, go to different church than me? who behave differently than me. 
You don't even know if your neighbor's a Christian or not. You've measured whether they're a Christian based on whether they go to church, cuss, drink, smoke, chew. They must need God. They don't need God any more than you need God. You see, sinists are always looking at other people who are worse than them to feel better about themselves. That's sinism. They're different than me. Thank God. I am so thankful for the diversity of not just race, but thoughts and emotions and feelings and theology. Because somebody's different theology might actually challenge me to rethink mine. You say, well, is it yours all locked up? I hope not. I still want to grow in God. I still want to learn from the Bible. I think I've got some things wrong. That ought to encourage you to come back. Most pastors today tell you they got all the doctrine figured out, and this is how we live, not me. Mine's flowing. Problem, the world's looking at a church that is, is like concrete, set up and immovable. Instead of seeing the church as a stream of water flowing and moving, we're stuck up. I'm just going to start praying for some really bizarre people to come. I just want us to be regularly challenged in our little bitty cubby hole of Christianity. Well, we all, it looks safe in here. We look safe. Everybody kind of smiling, hallelujah, it's 9.30, it's the early church people. Sinners don't come till late, so y'all safe. Just safe little 930 crowd. Hmm. Real test of Christian faith and good friends lies just weeks and months ahead. Will my peers accept me back into ministry or will I simply be a faint peripheral dot on the ecclesiastical radar of my great profession? Now you see me. <laughs> We, we, we hide behind sin because of shame, and, but we think about it, and what is seen when we hide? The very thing that we ourselves are hiding from, sin. If I hide behind a car, you're going to see the car, not me. If I hide behind sin, you're going to see the sin and not me. So when you come out from behind the sin, people see you. What did Adam do? Adam went and got leaves to cover himself up. What if he would run naked to God? It shocked you so much you didn't know what think. Nobody uses the word naked in church. Um, but I thought about that. What if Adam would have just run to the Father? Hey! Instead, he covers himself up. He's hiding behind his sin. What if he'd have gone, Father, I sinned. I ate from the tree. I shouldn't have. What would have happened? See, you think you got it locked up. You think you know the answer to that. I'm not sure we do. I had that thought as I was preparing this. What would have happened if Adam would have, in that moment, you said, well, there had, to be, there had to be someone shedding of blood. And all that. God can do what God wants to do. Problem was, Adam and Eve never really repented. Well, I should move right along. <laughs> Y'all are being way quiet. I just got to let you know, it's kind of scary right now. You're becoming invisible. Now you see me up a tree. This is where I kick into my Dr. Seuss mode. 
now you see me up a tree. Remember the story of wee little Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus wanted to become visible to God. He wanted to become visible to Jesus. And he was too little to be seen in a crowd. The Bible says he wanted to be visible. He wanted to climb a tree and he wanted Jesus to be visible to him. And because he climbed the tree, all because he wanted to see Jesus, Jesus said, come down, Zacchaeus, today we're going to your house. He was a crook. Zacchaeus was a crook, a thief, a liar, a cheat. I love Jesus. Religious people hate these scriptures. Yeah, but, but, but when he went, look, we know what Zacchaeus told Jesus, but we never saw it played out. <laughs> I love it. Everybody thinks that, okay, from that day forth, Zacchaeus was a saint. I don't think so. I really don't. Because there's no more writing about him. And, and you know, I if I would have been Jesus, I would have inspired. And, you know, after that day, Zacchaeus never jacked up again. Isn't that what we think? So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know, I, I, I think I need to put that, uh, frame that in my house. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into this house and being a guest of a sinner. You don't ever see that in anybody's house. We got all the other, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know above all things that you want to prosper me, keep me in health even as my soul prospers. Wouldn't it be great if all over your house goes, I'm jacked up, he's, he's a guest of sinner. You might actually have some luck with sinners. It's just a thought. In difficult times, in times where you know things are wrong, you've got to take the Zacchaeus approach. Now you see me up in a tree. You see me, God. The last thing that you need to do when you get stupid is run from the church. You need to run to the church. You, you need to become visible, not invisible. Because that's where the healing comes. If you had cancer, are you going to hide and say, I don't have cancer? No, you're going to run and do whatever you need to do to get it well because you want to live. You know, physically, we're all going to die. I don't, I don't know if you guys got that memo. And, and we treat our bodies with greater respect than we do our soul. I want to live. I, 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 this body is temporal, but everything in here is eternal. And it all begins right now. Living begins right now. If you're bitter towards someone, you're unforgiving, you're angry, and you've got all these issues going on inside you, and you don't have your body's in great health, but your soul is sick. It's because you've made the things in your soul invisible to God. And he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We have a fear that God's going to slap us around. The worst thing we can do is sleep night in, night out, with conflict in our soul because we don't get any sleep. Now you see me by the sea. Sounds like a children's book. Now you see me up a tree. Now you see me by the sea. And it keeps going here in a minute. You'll get it. But you got Peter and Andrew 
running their dad's business. They're just doing what they know to do every day. But they're very visible. They're not, they're not in the house playing Xbox or going after Pokemon. Uh, they're, they're doing what they knew to do every day. And let me just tell you the reason this is important. Some days you go to work, you get in this routine, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, and it's what you do every day. And you know, here's what happens. We get up without any anticipation or expectation that today's going to be any different than tomorrow or, or yesterday. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe that every day we ought to get up and we ought to say, God, I'm going, I'm, in Peter and Andrew's case, I'm going to my boat today, but I'm expecting something to happen today. Because I'm going to be in a position for you to come by and see me. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus walks along, comes by the sea. There are Peter and Andrew, and he calls them. They immediately drop their nets and walk away from their business. Do you think they ever planned? I don't think that was in their five-year plan. I, I don't think that they thought, one day, the Son of God is going to walk by our boat, and, and we're going to go with him and there's going to be a book written about us, and we're going to be popular all over the world for generations. We're going to be great. We get lost not only in our desperation and our need, but in our comfortableness. We get lost in the comforts of life, in the routines of life. And we lose, we literally become invisible, thinking that this is as good as it gets. Let me tell you guys something. Life as you know it right now, is not as good as it gets. It's not because of performance, but because of faith that one day Jesus is going to walk by where you are. And you just made yourself visible, and if you're visible, you can make yourself available. And that's all they did. That's all they did. Listen to this. You don't think there's a difference here? The story of Billy Graham is intriguing to me. As of 2008, so eight years ago, Billy Graham's estimated lifetime audience including radio and television broadcasts, top 2.2 billion people that he had reached. That means approximately 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth. That's hard to wrap a mind around. Billy Graham has shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history, but do you know who shared the gospel with him? It's actually a series of events that has been traced over years and starts out with a volunteer Sunday school teacher. In children's ministry. You want to get a good start here. It says you can count the apples on the tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? So it is with the influence of one single person. Take Edward Kimball, for example. Never heard of him? You're not unique. Most people have never heard of him. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the often rowdy boys in his class, but also sought to win each one to the Lord. If Kimball ever felt like giving up, he never talked about it. If you have ever taught the Bible to young boys, you know the experience is like herding cats. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about, so Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shells and confronted him in the stock room with the importance of a personal relationship with Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. In the stockroom on that Saturday, he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God with untold thousands coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But the story doesn't end there. Actually, that's where it begins. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, Wilbur Chapman. 
Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. One day, a professional baseball player had a day off and attended one of Chapman's church meetings, and thus, Billy Sunday was converted. Sunday quit baseball and became a part of Chapman's team. Then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. He was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who was above, uh, wasn't above renting a hearse and parading through the streets advertising his meetings. When Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man then in high school vowed he wouldn't go hear him preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, did eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school and male students were skipping lunch to visit the house across the street. When students decided to go interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided to go see what would happen. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and was converted and became a follower of Christ. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham, the evangelist who preached to more people than any other person who ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. You see what being visible and available can do. Just one person stepping up and saying, God, I'm available. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do something. You never know the ultimate outcome. Then last, now you see me on bended knee. Now you see me up a tree. Now you see me by the sea. Now you see me on bended knee. The Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. One of the greatest things about life is the opportunity and the free will we've been given by God to make decisions that will determine the outcome of our life. You're not lucky. Nobody's lucky. People make good choices that produce good results. It's not luck. You say, well, then why is it happening to everybody else? Look at yourself in the mirror and say, what are you doing to be visible? What have you done to be available? Let me tell you something. All I've done is come to this city and say, here I am again, God. Here I am again. And let me just tell you something. I'm not going to become more shy. I'm going to become more vocal. I'm not going to back off. I'm stepping up. Because this right here, folks, Mosaic Church, is a Midwest redemption story. And this is the story that people out there who have hidden from God and become invisible need to hear and want to hear. And let me tell you, I will stay on top of this thing the rest of my life because people need to know God forgives, God redeems, God restores, God reinstates, God never leaves you, God never forsakes you. Quit using excuses. Stay in it. I'm going to get louder and louder. Oh, pastors love to preach about David, but they don't want to live him today. David was a murderer. David's worse than me, baby. I love it when pastors preach about the woman caught in the act of adultery, David who murdered an adulterer. Yeah, they talk about David, but let somebody in their generation jack up and you judged. Not me, baby. I ain't invisible. I am visible, and I am going to stay visible, and we are going to show the world the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Because this cat right here ain't going invisible. 
Sometimes you just got to be loud. It'll confuse people. Yeah, David had some issues. I don't have time to get into all his issues because I'd rather get into mine. Anyway, so, so David murders, has an affair with Bathsheba, kills her husband. Baby dies. David's mourning, and after the baby dies, David gets up, washes himself. His servants are watching. What's he going to do? Is he going to just disappear? Is this great man going to disappear? I mean, come on, he shamed all of Israel. He shamed the God of Israel. They wanted, you know, people want you to disappear because they're not comfortable with sin. And the reason they're not comfortable with sin is they never look at their own. Best thing to do is get somebody to go out of town, forget about them. You know what, I decided that God didn't forget about me. Y'all ain't going to forget about me. It bothers me when churches preach all about the woman caught in the act of adultery and then they treat everybody different but her. Reality is, folks, we got to start living this. We can't just preach this. We can't just talk about David's, oh, isn't it awesome, David's story? No, David's story has to be our story. If, if we go that route, that has to be our story. God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. What does it take? Yeah, bended knee. Every knee shall bow. What does it take? Just bow your knee. Bow your knee. No, there were times I almost gave in. There were times I wanted to disappear, become invisible, act like it never happened. I was going to heaven anyway, and that would have been a joy, go to heaven and watch all the people who didn't think I'd be there. I want to be at the gate. <laughs> Welcome. I'm here. What are you going to do now? Now you see me. Because many of those people I haven't seen in two years that were people that were a part of my life. People I gave jobs to, people I helped out. It would have been easy to become invisible. I don't want any of you to become invisible. Drug addicts, alcoholics, ex-strippers, current strippers. That messed you up, didn't it? Uh-huh. We're okay with the old ex thing, but bring them on in. If they start coming, we're going to put a pole in the lobby so they can swing on in here. Anyway, so uh, I'm just trying to shake things up, baby. And that would, I can promise you. Hey, they got a pole at Mosaic. Um, greatest church we ever had. We had poles in our auditorium. That was from some of y'all were there. Um, you see, some things like this shake people up, and we... We laugh about it because finally somebody said it. You've been thinking it. It's an intentional moment of silence. The reason I say this is because, folks, the reality is every knee is going to bow. It's the only way we get there. Every knee is going to bow. If you're still standing... You need to bow. I wrote these words, and probably a little dramatic today. I don't even know if we'll post this one. We might. It may even be worse at 11. I don't know. But here's what I wrote 
on that same day that I wrote the first part, and this was in the spring as well. And this is my Martin Luther King Jr. speech. I've, I've been so inspired by, I don't know how many, I've watched Martin Luther King, and the inspiration of Dr. King for me has been one of my greatest inspirations because Dr. King had uh, been called a number of things, and, a, and being a black man was the least of those. It really was, a philanderer, and he'd been criticized, and, but he stayed in the fight. He never became invisible. That's what I loved about him. So I, I've read his I Have a Dream speech over and over, and then I, I wrote my own I Have a Dream at the end of this. It was the end, coming to the end of my restoration process. And I knew that the day was coming when I would either be accepted or rejected by the church I built and possibly accepted or rejected by any church that I'd spoken in. But thank God for people like David Crank, pastor of St. Louis, who called and said, I want you to come and preach. Journey Church, Corpus Christi, I want you to come and preach. Guys that spoke into my life and said, we will not let you become invisible. We will not let you disappear. Here it is, and I'll close with this. I have a dream that one day a leader's love for power will yield to the power of love for their fallen leaders. I have a dream that one day the church member and the church leader will no longer be judged differently by the category of their sin, but by the content of their broken hearts filled with repentance. I have a dream that one day the blood of Christ will flow through the church like a river with force and with forgiveness into the valley of human sin, even adultery. I have a dream that one day the stain of human sin will pale in comparison to a cross stained by the blood of the one who died for such sin. I have a dream that one day the unchaste Christian leader will not fade into the darkness of a fallen world but will rise once again in houses of worship shining the bright light of God's redemption and restoration. I have a dream that one day the voices of the silent fallen will once again ring loud in cathedrals of grace declaring the greatness of our God. I have a dream that the words written and read, neither do I condemn thee, will leap off the pages of the Holy Bible and into holy hearts and mouths of today's Christian leaders. I have a dream that I will once again be one of those leaders. I conclude with a direct quote from Dr. King. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley will be exalted, every hill and every mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Do not become invisible. Do not become invisible. Don't you dare. Don't let shame, don't let guilt, don't let comfort, don't let success, don't let people's gossip or words about you make you invisible. Folks, I got, I got good news and bad news. I'm still a sinner. Good news is I've been saved by grace. Father, thank you for this day. May all the ears who hear, hear with a heart to receive. My goal today is not to vilify anyone. I have forgiven. I am not bitter. But Lord, it is time for the church to be what it preaches. And Lord, I stand here today for no other reason than to be obedient to you. 
And my prayer is those watching online and those sitting in this building are here in obedience to you. The people who are here today are the ones who were supposed to be here today. Those who watched online were the ones who were supposed to watch online today. And those who watched the podcast we the ones who are supposed to watch the podcast. But I'm speaking to pastors who have fallen, leaders who have fallen, to people who have fallen, to deacons and elders who have fallen and have been discarded because those around them were ashamed of them. Rather than honoring and restoring and reinstating, they were ashamed. God, speak to the hearts of those who have dismissed your gift and your call and your anointing all in the name of we're ashamed of you. We have a lot of great voices today on the shelf, God. I pray that they come off the shelf today. These are voices we need. These are people we need. Make them visible again, God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there are those of you who have dismissed yourself. God has not dismissed you. Somebody confirmed your dismissal by telling you you'll never preach again. I had people tell me, well, you disqualified yourself. And I strongly looked back and I said, I cannot be disqualified because I was never qualified. I am not bowing my knee to logic. I will only bow my knee to Jesus. You can bring all the logic you want. But let me tell you something. God is not finished with you. Today is time for you to become visible. If you're not a Christian, and you've had reasons not to be for fear of how you would be treated, I understand. But in this house, you will be loved. If you have not received Christ, and you're not a follower, I want to ask you to quickly lift your hand up right now and put it right back down. I just want to pray for you. Yes, I want, to, I want to pray for you. Just lift it up. Say, Pastor, that's me. Those of you watching online, we're going to pray with you as well. Let's all pray this prayer together right now. Say, Father God, thank you so much for shedding your blood through your Son to redeem me from my sin, to buy me back so that I could be yours. Today, Jesus, I accept the work of the cross. I put my faith in you. Today, I'm redeemed, born again forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.